You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. I would like to look today at a story um, that's recorded for us by, by John. And in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 9, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in verse 8, but in John chapter 9, we come to a story, and I'm really just going to spend most of my time today just looking, looking at this story. And, and, and before the verses that I'm going to read here in John, in John 9, Jesus comes across a man who's, who's blind, and he heals that man. And we're going to pick up with kind of what happens after, after that healing. All right, so John chapter 9 and verse 8. Speaking of the man, it says, His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said that he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. This story, by the way, I'm going to try to to read it with a little bit of, I don't know, well, but with a little bit of drama, but this story to me is hilarious. There's a back and forth in this story. There's some undertones that are like completely humorous. And, you know, as I was reading it uh, this morning, I was kind of thinking of like, somebody that would play the part of the blind man, and I kind of thought of like a Kevin Hart or maybe like an Adam Sandler. Um, so if you want to put Kevin Hart in here or Adam Sandler, that's up to you. Um, but, you know, it starts out by saying, isn't that the guy? And they're like, no, that's not the guy. It just looks like him. So but the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same one. So they asked, who healed you? What happened? Verse 11, he told them the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, now, this is, kind of, this is one of those weirder stories in the Bible. I can't really decide if it's weird or not. Because I know there's, there's like an age where it's appropriate for a mom to kind of, you know, lick, lick her finger and, and wipe something off a kid's face. Or maybe that's never appropriate. I don't, I, I don't know. And then I think about, like, how much saliva did it take to turn dirt into mud? But we're going we're gonna to just skip right past that <laughs> to, where, to where he says, uh, where was I? The man they called Jesus made some mud, verse 11, and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool in Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. I couldn't see when he, when he put the mud on me. I don't know where he went. Verse 13, then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? And if so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. 
His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough to ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether this man is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. For since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. We'll pick up with that in a few moments. What a story. In, in this story, we see, I want to talk about the man and the Pharisees, these other guys. And we all, their lives are shaped by the principles and stories um, that have defined them, the principles in their lives, the things that they believe, the things that they've been taught, the things that they believe, the stories that define who they are. And really, I, I, I think that's true of all of us. We're all defined and shaped by what we believe and the stories that we hold true. And so what do we, what do we see in the man? The, what is the man's principle and story? In verse 25, he says, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind, but now I see. That's the principle that's driving his story. I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I know that I was blind and now I can see. And that's going to define the rest of my story. I, I think that's, that's just an, an amazing thought. It was, it was so simple in his life. And I'm sure it's such a transformative moment in his life. But it's such a transformative in his life that it's going to affect how he sees the world, how he sees everything. Well, how about the Pharisees? How, how do they see? Let's go back to, or I'm sorry, let's go back to... Um, the interaction between Jesus and the man and, and verses that didn't read up in verse 6 and 7. It says, Jesus, then he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, and spread the mud over the man's eyes. And he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Who did the work here? Who, who did the healing? It's, it's, we're in church. The, the answer is always... <laughs> The answer is Jesus. Jesus did the work. He, he did the hard part. But then what did the guy have to do? He had to follow up by going and washing, by obeying what Jesus, Jesus told him, okay, go and wash. And the guy actually had to go and wash. He could have just said, dude, why'd you spit in my eyes? <laughs> why'd you put mud in my eyes? But he went and he did something. But see, see, Jesus did something for the man. Jesus did something incredible for the man. But the man had to follow it up with some action. What about the Pharisees in, in nine, uh, verse 28 and, 28 and 29? It says, Then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple, but we 
are disciples of Moses. You know, we know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. And so we get a, uh, a picture into who these Pharisees are and, and what makes them tick, how, how they think, and what they say that we know Moses and we follow Moses. We know that Moses came from God. We know that God spoke, spoke to Moses. God gave Moses like, some commandments. God gave Moses some instruction. And we know that instruction. And that's how we see the world. And the Pharisees were known. They're actually a minority um, in their time. But they were kind of a vocal minority. But they, they were known as those who followed the law. And not only the law, but followed the tradition. Because the law was given a couple thousand years before. And a, and a lot of tradition has as, as followed the law. And there's a lot that they, that they kept true and, and kept doing. And so they were very, very um, concerned with following the law and keeping tradition. You know, as Christians, we talk about, we use a word called the gospel. And you've probably heard it said that when we say the gospel, it just means the good news. And the gospel and the good news is really, it's a set of principles and a story that defines who we are as Christ followers. It defines what Christianity is, the gospel, principles of the gospel and the story of Christianity. Well, first, as a principle, what is the principle of the gospel? Well, the principle of the gospel is that we are offered forgiveness. We are offered reconciliation because of what Jesus did and because of who Jesus is. The gospel is, is that because of what Jesus did, because Jesus came and he, and he sacrificed everything for us, and he's able to offer forgiveness, he's able to offer grace, he's able to offer um, a way of reconciliation, that because of what Jesus did, we have, we have forgiveness, we have reconciliation. That because God is so good, as we sang about earlier, there's nothing that we can do to, to live up to his goodness. There's no way that we can muster up enough goodness to stand before how good he is. But because of Jesus, we don't have to. Because Jesus is good. And because Jesus takes our place and, and he, he pays the price and, and he does all that he does, we're able to boldly enter the throne because of what Jesus did. That, that's the principle. And secondly, the, the part of that principle is that we receive grace and that grace changes us, right? The, the principle of the gospel, the principle of, of the good news is that God does all the work and then we follow it up with other good works. And there's, there's two ways that we can, we can make, we can, there's like two ways we can see this incorrectly. It's the fact that we are saved by grace, but that through, but that grace changes us. There's two ways I kind of like to call them legalism and license. In legalism, we emphasize the fact that we need to have good works, which is true. We are supposed to do good. We are supposed to, to be better. We are supposed to, to follow it up. Over on the other side of legalism, we have license, which says, well, because of what Christ did, then I'm good. <laughs> and both of those are wrong. We don't want to overemphasize doing good, but we don't want to also underemphasize the fact that we need to do good. <laughs> it's because of God's grace, because of his mercy, that we are changed, that we are better, that we, that we grow, that we become, become all that we are supposed to be. And so there's principles of the gospel, and, God, and the gospel is also a story. And the story from cover to cover is this, creation, fall, 
redemption, and this is in your notes, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. What we see from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, and in every book of the Bible, is the story of the gospel, the story of good news, how the world was created good. God, God is very specific. He says over and over again, it's good. We live in an unbelievable creation. But that creation has, has fell into disharmony. We have, we've, we've wrecked things. We've, we've broken relationship. We've rebelled against God. We've done a number of things, and so there's, there's disharmony. There's been a fall, so to speak. And so even though creation is good, well, we've, we've kind of messed it up a little bit. Do we all agree we've messed it up a little bit? <laughs> so we know that God created things good, and so at the, at the core of everything is goodness. At the core of everything is beauty, but we got uh, it tarnished a little bit. And so then the following creation and following fall is redemption. And most, most of the story of the, of the gospel, most of the story of the scriptures is the redemption aspect. How God is working to restore. And that the final chapter, the end of it all, is the restoration of all things. And, and my, my life verse from Colossians chapter 1, that through Jesus, all things are being restored. And so that, that's the good news. That's the gospel. The gospel being that it is by grace that we are made right, and it is by grace that then we be, we do uh, we followed up with good works, and that there's a creation, a fall, and a redemption, and ultimately a restoration of all things, and we get to be a part of that. Not that not just that I'm good with God, although that's a massively important piece, but that God wants to restore and redeem everything. And so we have, we have a part to play and, and we have a, a, a responsibility and, and, a, and a people to be a part of. And so we have this principle and this story that, that drives how we understand, really un how we understand everything, but then how we understand the scriptures. It's principle and the story. But isn't it true that we don't all have the same driving principles and the same story? Because we all have different influences and different things in our lives that, that, that enter into our lives or we have thoughts and, and patterns and beliefs that are, that are different from one another, right? You know, maybe you grew up feeling, feeling inadequate or you feel, you feel not good enough or you feel you didn't, you were, something happened, some trauma in your life or some, some word that was spoken and that carries you through it and you're, we kind of are defined by that. Maybe there's, there's things that happen to us that shape our story. There's principles that, that, we, that we believe or there's things that we believe or there's, there's stories that affect who we are. And so we all have um, different stories and different principles. And what's interesting is that when, we, when we're able to articulate what we believe and we're able to articulate the story that we're living in, it's really easy to understand each other more. Well, that's why you reacted that way when I said that. <laughs> Or, or th that's why you see that the way that you do. Or that's why that affected you in the way that it did. We have two dogs. <laughs> and two very different dogs. I, ha I have a little older dog we call Maddie. And we have an, an older, not older, a bigger, younger dog we call Ruby. And, and Maddie, my little dog, everything's a threat. People, when you come over, if you ever come to my house, I'm sorry for my for Maddie. My little dog is gonna bark like crazy 
And then you're going to come in, and I'm going to tell her to stop, and I'm going to get down on the floor, and I'm going to try to get her to stop, but she's just going to keep barking. Just so you know, she does the same thing when I come home. She barks and barks and barks. I come in the door, she still barks. <laughs> she, everything is a threat. My other dog, Ruby, much bigger, much younger, everything is an adventure. <laughs> she's just happy. She's just ready to go. But there's also an element, and forgive me, I'm a dog person. My, my, my big dog, Ruby, she's got, oh, what's the word that I used in my notes? She's got abandonment issues. <laughs> Just go with me for a second. When, when Ruby was young, she, she, she was brought to a home and then, and then brought back to where she came from and then came to us. And so I, I think that our, our dog has abandonment issues, which means if I take her outside and then I go around the corner to grab something that she can get to, she starts freaking out. <laughs> when we leave the house... She just freaks out. She has, a, she has abandonment issues. But if I'm there, she's the happiest thing in the world, <laughs> and everything's an adventure. You see, my two dogs, Maddie, Maddie and Ruby, have very different principles, guiding principles in their life, and very different story, and so they, they act very differently. Does that make sense to us? Very different. I love them both, but yeah. <laughs> let's, let's go back to our story. Uh, chapter 9, verse 35. We're going we're gonna to pick up on what, what happens next. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? And th- this phrase, Son of Man, would, would, he said, do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe in the Son of God? The man answered, yes. Or, I'm sorry, the man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. And Jesus says, you have seen him. Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Jesus reveals himself to this man. The man replies, yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to to show those who think they see that they are blind. What's interesting here, and and I, I read this over a couple times, is that Jesus came to bring sight to everyone. Jesus came so that no one would be blind. Jesus came to bring freedom to everybody. But what he says here is, I came to bring sight to those who are blind. And then he says, and to those who think they can see, they are blind. So there's, so you either know you're blind or you think you're not. <laughs> We're all blind. We all need help. We all, we all need Jesus. Some of us are extra aware that we need Jesus. <laughs> and some of us think, no, I'm good. <laughs> but we all need Jesus. But Jesus says, I came to bring sight to everybody. I came to bring sight to the blind, those who know they're blind and those who don't know that they're blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? <laughs> I love Jesus' response. If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. And then Jesus tells a story, tells a parable or an illustration. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. All right, let's, we've got to change our frame of reference here. We're thinking about, we got sheep, shepherd, a field, gate, kind of a fence. All right, let's read that again. 
I tell the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd. The following? This is not too bad. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After, after he has gathered his own flock, he walks, around, walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All right, some, some background here. Uh, the, the, you can read about, about shepherds during Jesus' time. The, they would actually, at night, they would sleep in the gate. So they would lie down at the gate of the pen or at the gate of the area, and they would be the ones that would protect the sheep. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the one who stands and protects you. I'm the one who's going to care for you. I'm the one who's going to come in properly and lead you out, and you'll know my voice and you'll hear me, and, and we're going to go find pastures together and all those things. But then there's other, one, other people who come over, and you don't know their voice, and you don't end up following them. But there's some that, ha- that have a different plan for you. So Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Those who, they'll, they'll, find, they'll find safety. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus' purpose, and he's, this is one of those verses that you hear um, referenced a lot of times. My purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. My purpose is to open blind eyes. Jesus' purpose is everybody needs something. Everybody needs me. Everybody needs some correction in life. Everybody needs uh, things to be, to be lined up. And I'm coming for everybody. And my purpose is to bring them into a rich and satisfying life. So let's review the principle and the story. What's the principle and the story for the man? Jesus rubbed some mud on him, told him what to do. He went and did it. And he said, I was blind, but now I see. That's, that's, that's his guiding principle. That's his story. That's how he's going to understand who Jesus is. That's how he's going to understand what's happening. Well, what about the, the Pharisees? What's, what's their principle? We'll go back to uh, verse 28. They cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man came from. All right. They say they look to Moses, but I want to suggest that they aren't looking at Moses right. According to the Pharisees, it's all about the law. Obey the law. When we go back to Exodus, what do we find? The principle of the gospel is that we are saved by grace and that grace changes us. But does God give them the law first? Does God say, okay, here's the law, obey it, and then I'll deliver you out of Egypt? Is that what happens in the book of Exodus? 
No, in fact, the first 19 chapters of the book of Exodus is God bringing them out before he tells them what, they, what they're supposed to do, before he gives them the law, before he gives them the temple, before he gives them uh, the sacrifices, before he gives them all of that, he delivers them first. He brings them out and then gives them the law. He brings them out and then he makes them into a people. And so we look at Exodus chapter 6. This is long before he brings them out. This is when, when Moses is going, he's going he's to give them the, the instructions. He says, therefore, God says, therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I'll redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people. I will be your God, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression. God does the work for the people. He brings them out of slavery. He brings them out of Egypt. Later, in, in Exodus 29, he says, yes, I will consecrate the temple and the altar, and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests, and then I will live among the people of Israel and be their God, and they will know that I am the Lord their God. I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. I am the Lord, their God. So when we look back at the law, when we look back at Moses, the principle and the story of the gospel are the same. God does the work. He brings them out of Egypt. They find themselves in slavery and he rescues them and brings them out before he gives them the law. But the law is there for a relational purpose. See, when we, when we look at these verses, Exodus 6 and Exodus 29, when, when God says that you will be my people and I will be your God, these are relational statements. These are statements of intimacy. That God is gonna be defined by his relationship with his people. When I, when I speak of, if I, was, if I was to say that you will be my wife and I will be your husband, that you be my Julie and I will be your Justin. Those are, that is intimacy. That's relational language. And you understand that. We all understand that. So when God says to the nation of Israel, that I will be your God and you will be my people. It's not law. That's relationship. That's intimacy. That God, all the way back in Exodus, looks at this, this, this people group and he says, I'm gonna do something for you. I'm gonna deliver you. I'm gonna bring you out of your captivity. I'm gonna bring you out of slavery. And then I'm gonna bring you home to me and I'm, we're, gonna, we're gonna be changed a little bit. We're gonna have the law. And so why, you know, why do we have the law? Why don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery? Why? Because God cares about honesty. He cares about caring, he cares about love. He cares about relationships. And, and sometimes we need a little bit of instruction, right? And we can get bogged down in, in the law and as we read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and we go through those things, we can, we can lose sight of what's really happening here. What's really happening here is that God does the work and brings his people out and then invites them into relationship and that relationship then changes them. That's the principle and the story of the gospel. That's the good news that because of what Jesus did, we have grace that's extended to us and that grace changes us. And we enter into that story and that story defines us. 
you know, in, in September, we're going we're gonna to offer a class um, called Old Testament Survey. We're going to go through each of the 39 books of the Old Testament, kind of just kind of understand um, them, but then to see the gospel and to see Jesus in every book of the Bible, in every book of the Old Testament. There'll be more information coming about that. We'll, we're going to talk about that. We're actually going to be offering it. Greg mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago how we're going to, Momentum is going to have Portland Bible College credit that our Momentum students are going to get credit through Portland Bible College. We're going to offer that for you as well. So on, on Wednesday nights, we're going to have some classes. Old Testament survey, it's going to be through Portland Bible College. You get college credit for it. And whatever you decide to do with college credit, that's that'll be up to you. But we're going to take this seriously. And, and we're going to learn together. And we're going to start to see the gospel on every page of the scriptures. To see the good news through the Old and New Testament. To see the gospel, that grace has been extended to all of us, and that grace changes us. Is that good news? I think so. Why don't you stand with me? The principle and the story of the gospel. I have two questions at the bottom of your notes and two questions that I want, I want to pose to you in this moment. The first is, will you let the scriptures define the principle and the story? Because we all have principles and, and stories that shape our lives. But will we allow, allow the scriptures, will we allow God to be the guiding principle and story of our lives? And secondly, Will you let that principle and story work in your life? Because it's not just about believing it. It's about letting it change you. So this is a kind of a simple message about the gospel, the good news that we see in, in this story of, of this man that was blind and then he could see and others who didn't know that they were blind but they desperately needed to see. Now they had they had the guiding principle and they had the story wrong. But for us, as we as we come, as we gather together every week, and as we as we read the scriptures together, and as we follow God together, as we try to to understand the good news and share it with others and let it change us, that because of what Jesus did that forgiveness is offered to us, that grace, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, no matter what's been done to you, grace is offered today and every day. And that grace changes you, which is a good thing because <laughs> we all need to be changed a little bit. And we enter into that story and it's not just a story that we tell and we remember, and it's a story that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's a story that's happening and that you are a part of it. Because that story of creation and fall and redemption and restoration, it's not over yet. We're still in the redeeming part. We're still in the restoration part. There's, there's work that needs to be done in you and in the world. So the question for you today is, will you let the Bible define that principle in that story? And will you let that principle in that story 
shape you. We're going to have some bagels together. We're going to have some fellowship time where we can encourage one another, where we can love on one another, where we can share a little bit about our story. We're going we're gonna to have opportunities. As I said, we're going to have Old Testament survey this fall. We're also going to have other opportunities just to grow in our freedom together because it, coming together isn't, as I said, just about believing the right thing. It's about being able to see. It's about being blind and now I can see. And we want to experience greater freedom together. We all need it in different areas of our lives. And God wants to give it to us. Can we pray? Jesus, we thank you for the work that you did. God, for the life that you led. God, for the sacrifice that you made. So that grace, forgiveness, mercy could be extended to all of us. God, so that we could be forgiven. God, that we can find freedom. God, that we can find forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. And so that you can, and so that you could do a work in us, God, in correcting us and, and, and bringing, bringing hope into our lives and bringing us into alignment and healing us and, and doing all the things that you desire to do in us to ultimately bring complete restoration, reconciliation, and redemption to this world and to all of us. So God, as, as a people, we commit to, to allowing the scriptures to define what that story is, to allowing your word to define what that truth is, and to letting it shape us individually and together as a group, together as your church globally as you have so much work, so much hope, so much life that you want to bring, so many eyes that you want to see opened up, so many chains that you want to see fall off. God, depression that you want to see fade. Addictions that you want to see fall off. God, we ask for it to be done in our lives again afresh, but then through us in the lives that we touch each and every day. God, we give you this time. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, have a great week. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.